What's up, listener? This is episode 127 of the Jock and Nerd Podcast. Thanks for pressing play. This episode is part of our Small Timber celebration in collaboration with our friends over at A Place to Hang Your Cape, an awesome geek comic book website. They love supporting the independent press, the small press. And thanks to them, we have a great guest on this episode. You're going to get to meet comic book creator Brett Uren. Remember how to pronounce that last name, listener, because I screw it up pretty quickly. Yeah, you'll hear that in a moment, like right at the top. I'm an ass. Brett is the creator of a great indie comic called Torso Bear that's getting a lot of buzz over in the UK indie comic scene. Check out the show notes at jockinerd.com slash 127 for links to his work, his Kickstarter. It's very important. Support the arts. Support the Kickstarter. Let's get to it. It's the Jockey Nerd Podcast with your hosts, Anthony and Imran. Hey friend, how's it going? Welcome to the show. My name is Imran. My name's Anthony. He's the jock. He's the nerd. And this is the Jock and Nerd Podcast. We got a great guest on the show today. Someone, our buddy David Malofsky from A Place to Hang Your Cape has been trying to hook us up with for like a year. And we finally connected with the creator of Torso Bear. Brett Uren, all the way from... Wait, I said his name wrong. You said his name wrong, you asshole. It's (laughs) Brett Uren. Not Brett Uren, you dick. I have to redo that. Brett Uren. No, you don't have to redo. No, we'll, we'll edit that in post. No, we're not. We're not editing that in post. Leave it Leave it the way it is. And I asked, him five, times. I asked him five times how to say his name. I knew he was going to fuck it up. But Yeah, you really did fuck it up. Look, he told it's us Uren. He, he gets that, Yeah, you know, when you have a name such as U-R-E-N, you're going to get the unfortunate urine jokes. Uh, so Brett, usually, but usually that's from like the asshole, not from the guy that's supposed to be the nerd that like sympathizes <laughs> with people and is actually really nice. Look, my name is Imran. Nobody ever gets it right. I don't give a fuck. So you have a track record of just being like the nice guy that fucks things up right? from, from the urine comment just sure. now to you breaking that toy at G fest. Hey, Imran, uh, keep the nice guy act up. Cause you're an asshole. Delicious audio. <laughs> this is delicious, awkward audio. Uh, Brett, so how do you say his last name, Anthony? Uren. Brett Uren, who's the creator, publisher of this awesome independent comic book called Torso Bear. We should give a shout out to uh, the Small Press September because this is why we're doing it. And that's why we have him. Happy Small Timber, everyone. It's a little thing, a place to hang your cape is doing in the month of September. where network we're on. The network we are on uh, where uh, it's celebrating small publishers, small press books, and then Small heroes, like child heroes, and then shrinking heroes. like So ap2hyc.com is where you're going to check all of this out. Definitely. And then check out the show notes for this episode for all the links to everything we talked about uh, with Brett, who's really cool. And uh, we had a great uh, conversation. Let's say we just get to that right now, Anthony. Why don't we? Brett, you're in. Thank you so much for joining us all the way from the United Kingdom. How's it going? Oh, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Um, the kingdom's not quite so united, but you guys seem to have been talking about that quite a lot. Which, which part Brexit. of the kingdom are which you, in, are you in? Um, about 30 miles away from London um, in Buckinghamshire, a little town called Aylesbury. It's a small market town in the country that thinks it's Neasden in London. 
So there's a bunch uh, of kind of wise guys walking around in their sports gear thinking they're gangster, but going into a, like a you know, small summer field supermarket in the fresh veg section. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> They think they're big city guys. I know exactly oh, yeah. where that is, Brett. I know exactly where you are. Oh, okay. You've heard it, but too. No, Everyone who no seems to leave there ends up coming back, and they come and say, oh, right, I haven't seen you in ages. So uh, where have you been? Oh, I've been in Australia. So what are you doing back in Aylesbury? I have no idea. Were you you were born born there? No, no, no. I was born in Hammersmith in London, and then uh, moved down to a little village called Winslow, where there's a there's more Masons and Masonic lodges per square mile there than I think I've ever seen in any kind of particular place. It's weird. Ooh, that's where the the Masons come from. Uh, look, I'm glad we finally got you on the show because uh, our buddy David Bolovsky. Yeah, I'm from a place here hanging cape for like a year. He's been like, you got to check out Torso Bear. Uh, you know, get bread on the show. You'll love them. And uh, this Torso Bear, your book that you created, seems to be a little bit of a hit of the UK indie comic scene over there. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, well, I wouldn't say hit. Um, certainly creators and critics seem to love it a lot. Um, if anything, the driving force between the book continuing has mainly been creators coming back and going, oh, I've got this idea for a story. And inevitably they tell me and it's, it's fucking cool. So we have to do it. And that's why we've ended up with three books just because people keep having fucking cool ideas. So uh, let's start with, why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about what Torso Bear is? Um, it was a drunken joke. So <laughs> oh, really? we would pub and I was probably about seven eight pints deep and because i'd done nothing but horror books up until that point people were like come on you're getting you're getting older and i'm like oh, fucking thanks but you've got to lighten up a bit why don't you try doing children's books oh yeah you want me to do children's books i'll do the most messed up children's book possible <laughs> and um you know with that in mind i did um, a little short eight page story for uh, a norwegian anthology um called otra uh, with the help of Glenn Moan, who and went on to be the co-editor with me on um, Torso Bear. And we sort of just crafted this little eight-page thing that was supposed to be... It was a joke. And every time we've gone to do a new book, it's been cut up. There's no way we can get away with more of this, right? And we have so far. Uh, yeah, I read that uh, on the PDF. I'll put a link in the show notes for the listener if you want to check out the eight-page kind of first story of and I, you know what? It's there's a lot. It was really clever. There's a lot of really clever ideas uh, in this. Right away world. when the when the, uh, the pinata starts puking, uh, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Even before then, like it's it's raining lemonade, and uh, and the guys and the they talk. I like how they talk about. Uh, I will I'll cup and string this in as how he communicates back to the station and their shoestrings instead of police tape, uh, and it's like. It's like Serpico meets fucking Toy Story or something. Yeah, we, we've been toying with the tagline um, that it would be Toy Story meets True Detective or fucking something like that. Yeah. And that was the idea to kind of like my first graphic novel was I went way out there. Like I was going to be like the lynch of comics and make this deeply layered fucking thing that people were going to um, you know, take apart and analyze years down the line in my young, arrogant head. And so when it came to some making something a bit more palatable for readers, it was kind of like, well, everyone does a genre mashup, but what if I actually do that like in the most extreme way possible? And um, that gritty but keeping it storybook mentality seems to have just sort of run and run 
it was a complete it was a complete accident. <laughs> it's a great disturbing juxtaposition because the main character Ruxby, who's uh, he just has this really innocent smiley look on his face all the time, uh, and it, and then there's just like violent toy crime scenes. It kind of reminds me. Have you seen Ted? Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Totally seen Ted. <laughs> Ted. Was this before or after Ted? Do you know what? I, I think it was about that sort of time. And the, the, the time. really the really weird thing is that came up with a torso bear idea and then Ted came out. And then there have been a couple of other guys in the UK indie comics scene as a mate of mine, Andy Clift, came up with a, um, a teddy bear who's Indiana Jones fighting vampires called Bertie Bear. <laughs> and then okay. there's another guy who did like, a book called Zombie Bears. And it was like... Where the fuck have all these bear books come from? Yeah, all of a sudden, uh, you bears know? have been very popular all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's sodding weird, but you know, it's 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 weird to be riding riding a sort of vague crest of uh, a, an idea that people have come to from different points. In the you know, you take something nice and innocent and kind of do something a bit twisted with it, but then um, I like to go with tainted. Yeah, tainted. <laughs> just, just because I like the word taint. No, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To, Anthony just wants to say taint. <laughs> taint one thing or another, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said earlier about dark children's books. Like, I've always been, because I'm an illustrator, I've always wanted to work in children's books, but I've always been attracted to, like, t- taking these uh, these Grimm's fairy tales, which are actually, like, really disturbing oh, stories. Oh, if you oh, read... They really hated Hansel. Like they fucking <laughs> tried to kill Hansel in every story. And I'm like, this is for kids. And then you see how like Disney kind of waters it down. And now everybody thinks Disney wrote all these goddamn stories when they, they, they didn't, they just kind of co-opted them. And the original stories many times are a little more disturbing. Like children's stories always had like a death in them. Yeah. Well, there's, there's something, some bits that are about sexual awakening as well. The whole idea with yeah. Sleeping Beauty is that it was supposed to be, I mean, it was a mistranslation from Glass Slipper because it was there, there instead of there um, in French or something, I think. And it was supposed to be a furry slipper. Do you get where I'm going with this? A you know? furry. Oh, yeah. oh, she's coming into puberty yes. kind of thing. Holy shit. Oh, shit. Yeah, I see. Show me that version. Why have you got to water it down for us? <laughs> <laughs> you do. Like, like Disney have got a lot to answer for. We've had, well, we haven't had a vague run-in with Disney, but when we put up the first volume for Comixology, there's a story in there where, one panel for one second shows sort of a vague approximation of Darth Vader's mask that we had to go in and digitally remove later on because they didn't give a shit about the He-Man alikes. They didn't give a shit about the Lego characters. But at Comixology, we're like, come on, you know, Disney own Star Wars now. we, We don't want to go up against them. Can you just remove this and it'll be fine? And they'll pass the law. Dude, you don't fuck with Disney legal. Uh, they'll sue the shit out of you for way less. As soon as they, as soon as I got that um, request in, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, we better fucking watch out and change it up real yeah, quick. We, uh, luckily, there's lots of other properties to fuck with in the world of toys. Uh, dude, I really love this whole concept. Before we really get into the book and all the creators in your Kickstarter, uh, I want to know where did you first uh, fall in love with comic books? When did that happen? Oh, it was totally living in um, Winslow in a small town where it's mainly oh, it's mainly an old people's home with a maybe one town. playground for kids. It's it's shocking. I used to work in a news agent's a little corner store, right? 
uh, during my teenage years, and there was always at least a gaggle of octogenarians and really fucking old guys who come in and get like a liter and a half of vodka on a Sunday or something like that. Yikes. They were just that sounds like a everywhere. good time. That's a Sunday, it, it, Sunday yeah. for me. I mean, that, that if the, you want to retire and get yourself way out of your head, that's the town to do it in. But for <laughs> you know, young guys, there was call to do. So you know, it was either go and bury porn mags in the woods out by the disused train station or sort of start using your imagination and that's just you know what came into it reading the old um, 80s spider-man runs and um, a whole bunch of garfield and calvin and Hobbes stuff as well and just uh, making up my own shit um designing platform games writing stories we did some kind of weird sci-fi radio show with my next door neighbor on an old sort of twin tape deck um just making shit up to pass the time, make life more interesting. Cool. Anthony comment. I was going to ask the next thing I, that on the list of questions would be what were some of your main influences into get into writing comics? Well, you draw also, right? The art is yours in the first, uh, that first preview uh, story. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, I love, I love how I ask a question and Imran immediately follows up with another question before you can answer. <laughs> well, that's that's right. It flows really nicely. You can tell you've been, yeah. you guys have been at it for a while. Yeah, for a while. Yeah, uh, it's certainly smoother, smoother than I am. Um, influences, I mean, it's from all over the place, man. I mean, definitely those early sort of three-panel strips had a massive effect. Um, we also didn't have a whole bunch of money growing up, and there wasn't a great um, you know, access to media and stuff out there in a small town. So you know those sort of... Um, VHS video collections of old cartoons that have fallen out of copyright that um, mm. you know, get bandied about. So I watched a load of old Max Fleischer, Superman. Yeah. Uh, there was a whole hour tape of old Betty Boop and Felix the Cat cartoons. So, you know, w- when Roger Rabbit, Rabbit came out in the cinemas, actually, it was, um, it was blown away by that sort of thing. And all that has had an influence, and it's probably why Tulsa Bear has such a sort of 1940s Ben, you know, it oh, looks yeah, a lot they, like that um, platform game yeah. they're developing at the moment. Was it Cuphead? That's all sort of 1920s old jazz soundtrack. Um, again, Fleischer influenced animation style. It's, it definitely has a very Who Framed Roger Rabbit. You can see the seeds of inspiration from that movie to this because that was kind of the same thing where you got to uh, hang out in this crazy toy well, it was a cartoon world as opposed to a yeah, toy world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, the, the, the lines are sort of blurred between cartoon and toy in, in that world just because I like to mix up some of those elements in it. Um, but it does allow for kind of the franchise stuff. And with, with what we're currently running throughout the third book or planning to is a whole big pastiche on 80s to 90s toy cartoon tie-ins, you know, the whole... Yeah, that's uh, awesome. Turtles and He-Man sort of shit. Oh, there, there's... A boatload of material there. And there is. And it used to go on and on. You literally could, you know. So we had to edit ourselves quite heavily, especially to avoid getting sued as well. Yeah. How we haven't been sued, I think, is just because we're indie and no one knows who we are yet. Yeah. So if we ever broke through, <laughs> I'm fully prepared. You're, you're going to be giving up some change. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Probably. In- <laughs> Hasbro and Mattel, if they ever get wind of this. <laughs> I'm fucked, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Bay will be coming for me. He'll make me clean his car. <laughs> <laughs> it's parody. It's protected. Uh, who are some of your like, artistic drawing uh, artist influences? 
Um, because I started out in horror comics, um, I, was, I was very much influenced by um, Giga, um, Junito, mm-hmm. um, definitely James O'Barr, um, ah. which you don't get really any of <laughs> in this latest <laughs> run of books at all. It's definitely back to type, to childhood, to those um, early sort of cartoon influences. I like, I like a bunch of guys. Um, there's uh, Kiacha Miroskia, I think his name is at the moment. He does uh, a bunch of sort of art for a band called The Sugar. Um, okay. who I'm very much in, in, in love with at the moment. Uh, but it's kind of, it's a, they're deeply layered Photoshop files with about 4,000 layers and it's organic wow. and it's, it's kind of, um, algorithmic at the same time. So uh, that's amazing. I'd love to do something like that. I've got an idea for a future project where, um, there's a, a group of people who basically are the garbage people of, um, space time anomalies. So they go in to clean up, you know, weird spatial shit and you ah. know, stick in the back of their truck. And I'd love to get some of that weird, uh, repeating, you know, glitchy artwork in there. They're like, they're time janitors. Yeah, they're like time janitors. So they're called the no men. Um, they're effectively immortal because they're outside the space time continuum. So the time, time waits for the no men. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's like the time masters in uh, legends of tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Except you know, they, they clean up shit with mops, mops and special. Oh, they're, they're literally <laughs> cleaning buckets. it up. Yeah. <laughs> We got some time puke, aisle three. Yeah, yeah, basically. They've got that attitude. They're going around, oh, who the the hell left this Escher stuff here? Going in to clean somebody's apartment and the stairwell goes on forever and start going back on itself and stuff. It needs a bit of development. The lead character in Torso Bear is uh, Ruxby Bear. Yeah. Very, uh, this is clearly a parody of uh, Teddy Ruxpin. Oh, yeah, massively. Um, it, it, the, the, the audience is totally split between those people who remember that and people who oh, yeah. where the hell did this thing with a tape deck come into it? And it was like, hey, Anthony, do you, yeah. do you remember Teddy Ruxpin at all, Anthony? Imran acts like I'm like 14 years old. You are! <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> yes, I remember Teddy Ruxpin. What was um, it? It was a fucking talking teddy bear, you dumbass. Yeah, it, was, um, it was fucked up. That's what it and, was. Uh, yeah, it was a weird-ass teddy bear that they parodied off of the movie that I asked about earlier, Ted. Uh, well, see, but if there wasn't Ted, I don't know if people... That Ted's really going to help, uh, you know, people remember Teddy Rocks. But I remember that thing, I kind of wanted it. I never got one, but it also scared the crap out of me. It did. I was like, it's this like is the Furbies. Insane. There's a definite uncanny valley thing going on there where it, <laughs> it's pretending to be human, but it basically yes. isn't. It's like Chucky, but with, you know, eyelashes and shit. Dead, soulless eyes, and, and he's and answering softer. questions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, a lot yeah. softer. You'd assume. I don't know. I've, I've never given Chucky a stroke. Okay, that sounded way, <laughs> way less. <laughs> oh. Nice. Chucky yeah. will bite it right off. He doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> he uh, no, Chucky gives zero fucks. <laughs> and his, so I also love his buddy, the wooden cop, uh, goes by the name of Hasbro with a Z, which is really great. I love that name. Well, you know, we, we figured if we were going to go after these, you know, old brands and do parody, why not really bait the guys as well? You know, get as close as possible without, because I mean, Ruxby's wife is called Mittel, you know. Mittel, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's, uh, you got three volumes of this, and I, I noticed there's multiple, it's like an anthology. There's multiple writers and artists. 
Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, that that started out just basically because I'd done uh, Kuzumu was my first sci-fi horror sort of graphic novel. Um, but yeah, after that, after the birth of my daughter, we were of the mind that I couldn't spend you know hours and hours and hours every night sitting there coloring and you know drawing and stuff like that yeah, um yeah. it was just out of practicality in the beginning and because people or well, a lot of people i knew in the indie scene internationally were involved with projects like fubar you know the zombie um war comic anthology um it seemed like a good way to get a lot of material together without having to produce a whole book myself which i wouldn't have had the uh, time to but you were still uh, so. Are they all connecting stories, or everyone gets to do like a little self-contained story? Um, a few people get to do um, self-contained stuff. There is always a certain amount of guidance around the rules of how the world's supposed to work, and that's where me and Glenn, especially, have been sort of instrumental in keeping people okay. This is a cool idea, but you've you've got to do certain things like this. You know, like the 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 uh, the way to kill a toy is to kind of like behead it. You know. Um, the other parts like arms and legs can be replaced or, you know, how would you go about executing a toy on death row to a certain extent? So we always have those sort of, you know, top end discussions. Philosophical conversations for sure. Yeah. 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 No, it, there, there is yeah. some, there is some weird shit when you read back some of your Facebook messages and go, if someone else <laughs> was reading this, I would be locked up, man. Definitely. <laughs> it's so clever though, because I love in that preview issue, you know, he shows up, and the crime scene, the piano runs out and pukes. It's like Law and Order, except it's like uh, green uh, army toys and shoestrings. And then at first, when he came upon the crime scene, I was like, what is that? I didn't quite know. It's raining lemonade. And I, and I kept looking at it. I was like, oh, it's the fucking torso of a bear. And the arms and legs and head is ripped off. The stuffing's falling off. And uh, Ruxby is a stitchologist. Uh, so it's the study of stitching and he's like, she was disassembled with a B12 stitch picker and a legal weapon around here. What are some of the rules in Toyberg? I love this world. Like I love <laughs> what you created. It's so cool. Well, there is, all that shit was just sort of like, as you said, law and order, it was a complete play for play of like, how would toys do that? You know, kind of procedural stuff, but you, you know, you can't have any blood or gore. It's got to be stuff that you'd come across uh, when fixing a toy or, you know, what would be the, the most terrible thing that could happen to toys? I mean, we've had them stitched inside out. I mean, there are some messed up pictures you can find on Google ah. of people who yeah. who literally do sew toys inside out or, you know, um, disassemble them in odd ways. So I mean, that first torso thing was definitely a reference to the Black Dahlia. I was like, well, okay, that, that, that was out of that uh, initial drunken session. Do you know what? Fuck you guys. You think I can't do children's stories? I'm definitely going to get a really gruesome murder. Yeah, fuck it. We're going to do the Black Dahlia with toys. They laughed at the time. They weren't laughing <laughs> when they saw that panel. <laughs> it's, it's brilliant, though. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you. It's it's the one at um, cons and shows where we leave the book open. So people wandering up go, the fuck is that? And then pick yeah. it up. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think out of the, the comics career so far, that's probably the, the turning point where I went from you know, possibly mediocre to kind of like putting something out there that people might gravitate towards and sort of go, what the hell is that? And when, uh, when did you start? When did Torso Bear first uh, see print? 
that it was at the end of 2014 because uh, Otra had just been a okay. digital only anthology at that point. So, um, all that anybody had ever seen of it, it was PDF stuff. I, you know, this preview really hooked me. I love the way you end it too, because he goes to the crime scene and then he's going to talk to his kid and he's sweating and he's all like, you know, he's losing his innocence. And then he get a phone call and about where the pieces are. And I really wanted to know what happened. Like, I was like, Oh, why is it over now? I want to know what this murder is. Well, that was uh, actually a function of the, um, of Otra. Um, cause the issue it was supposed to be involved with was hopelessness. So the idea ah. of, uh, you know, to take something as saccharine and happy and, you know, completely pure as possible and take it down into, you know, a total pit. Um, I actually got an email from an ex-cop somewhere in the States. I can't remember whether it was Atlanta or something like that, but it, um, he said he'd read it and um, he was just coming out of the force and he was kind of worried that people on the outside world weren't going to get what people were going through out there. Now, I've never been a policeman. I don't know anybody who is, um, but it just seemed to luckily hit a note or kind of happen upon the right idea that it's it messes with your head it's just bizarre he got that kind of feeling off of a teddy bear <laughs> that's that's what that you is, know that's actually but that's when you know you've actually hit a hit the uh, yeah yeah you're oh, on the right path yeah, totally yeah. i mean i've had like some really crap convention shows where you sell maybe like one or two books despite people picking it up and stuff like that uh, not to know whether my sales skills quite aren't up to scratch or whether it's just you know, an awful lot of people. Uh, there are a lot of small shows kind of opening up in the UK in local towns and stuff. So whether it's just people that, you know, bringing their kids in for a day out, not with an intention of buying anything, I don't know. But, um, you know. Um, how do you, it's, your pitch when you go to these things? Yeah, you, what's do the act, pitch? Do you sit behind the desk? Or are you out there like trying to pitch the book? Oh, I'm definitely out there trying to pitch the book. I mean, we've had some great shows where, you know, sold, you know, many, many tens of copies of it. And it kind of goes up and down from almost nothing. I always equate it to, I hear about, bands who have made it big but were you know playing to clubs a year ago for like two people or something yeah sometimes you're going to hit it sometimes you're not kind of thing um but the main point of going into that was you know at those moments where you go oh what the fuck am i still carrying on with this for you get an odd email like that where it reading to it has made a difference to somebody you know and i think that's what propels it more than anything else is um people's reactions and creator reactions as well because guys like sideth and Oh, the artist Renzo Rodriguez have just come back, you know, and are fully up for for doing it. That's fantastic, and they seem to be having fun with it. But yeah, what is the pitch? Like, someone walks up to your table and they're like, "Hey, what's this all about?" Uh, what do you tell them to get them hooked? Um, I'd actually tell them that kind of like Toy Story True Detective line. Okay, um, yeah. it's uh, you know the challenge is like how gritty can you take noir that that detective story stuff without any of the sex violence or gore and still make it sick as you can possibly imagine it's who reigned roger rabbit who framed roger rabbit yeah. on yeah. steroids and probably ketamine yeah <laughs> it does it's it's weird it has this feeling of like gravitas and realism to it even in that preview where you just buy it like i don't even think you need it kind of sells itself once you start once you pick up the book and flip through it uh, there's another image I loved and I found it online. It's, uh, the all stitched up image. I'll put it in the show notes. Listener, it's a black background and there's like a smiling teddy bear mouth and nose with pointed teeth. And then 
just a finger saying shush, but he's got a thimble with a hook on it. And this image is so compelling. Like I, you already know just by looking, this is a bad guy. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah know, that's this, uh, that's uh, Ruxby's nemesis that turns up in volume two. Um, well, who is this guy? Some subtle influence. Well, he is the copycat. The copycat. So um, again, he's like Felix the cat, but um, completely malevolent, like aware that he's an imaginary thing. And, uh, you know, that uh, it leads me to believe that because he's a nihilist, like he knows that this is an imaginary world. Ooh. None of this is real. There's no real consequence to him doing whatever the hell he likes to other toys. He's kind of sounds like the Joker. He, I was just going to say that. He's, he was, uh, that was the pitch Joker. to the other writers originally for volume two is that this is Toyberg's Joker. So, you know, however you want to use him, just make sure you use him like that. He's working out quite how toys work or kind of what the, 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 the stretches of morality and the, the reality of Toyberg is, you know, um, not that he gives a single shit either way. You know, he's just curious. That's awesome. He's just anarchy in a wild card. So he's a, he's a teddy bear also. No, he's a, he's a stuffed cat. Oh, he's a stuffed cat. Okay. Yeah. Stuffed cat. So is it with kind of the Cheshire cat influence on there that he's uh, got a permanent grin ever since he was um, in the uh, toy world's corner prison and got put in their version of solitary confinement, the step. <laughs> and uh, it kind of drove him bonkers or, you know, gave him an insight into what the world actually is. Nobody quite knows. So in volume two, Ruxby goes to toy prison. What's that like in, in this world? Uh, it's pretty messed up. It is pretty messed up. Uh, most of the villains from the Saturday morning wars that uh, happened before New Toyberg's founding got stuck in there. Most of the guards are um, sort of the good guys, the He-Man and the um, Brave Star and those sorts of guys are acting as warden and prisoner, uh, prison guards for the place. It's sort of subterranean, but it's built in a clown playhouse, sort of stuck out in the corner of Toy World. In a literal corner, you can see skirting boards. Like they're all in a room. Yeah, I love how the, the, the streets are made of like uh, game boards and puzzle pieces. Yeah. Well, the, the kind of the vague pitch to writers was, um, and artists as well, is that you can do pretty much whatever you like, but make sure that it has a physical counterpart. Like if you were going to see it in a, a kid's room or something, you know, ah, build I see. It out okay. so it's like they're alive, but they're still very much. Everything has to follow the rules of an actual physical toy. That's why um, Carlos Zamudio, who's been working on all three issues now, an amazing artist. He actually came up with the concept of the stars and the moon at night coming down on strings, like a kid's mobile above a crib or something, you know, and there are tons of little touches like that who have just embellished the world world. Um, I see this panel now on, uh, I did a little Google search for torso bear of the clown uh, prison in the corner of the room with the stars uh, hanging on the wall. And it is like a springy hand uh, as barbed wire uh, running around it. It's so great. Uh, so do you give these, your collaborators, uh, do they have a chance to create, characters within this world for you oh yeah definitely i mean one of the more popular characters from volume one was um british writer side defense snablock who's kind of like a an ex-he-man minor villain turned um turned pi you know like he's trying to clear his name and just keep his him, himself out of trouble but with interchangeable jaw and arm parts 
you know, um, accessories sold separately, that sort of shit. Um, <laughs> it's been it's been massively influential on the, the the direction of the series, making it from a short story into this, and he kind of set the tone with that. Um, and it, I think out of all of them, um, probably Snaplock and uh, Glenmore and Stretcho Savage, who's kind of like a macho man, Randy Savage, Stretch Armstrong, yeah, the strongest characters throughout the series that people have just made up and have their own arcs and stuff. I mean, this is credit to you that you build such a solid world and universe that people uh, can just jump in and add to it and have fun. It's a great sandbox that you got to play in right now. I think it's a great sandbox for everyone to play yeah. in. I mean, yeah. um, this latest volume, you won't have seen it yet, but Kieran Squires, who's done a, a few bits on the stories throughout. The first story he did was the kind of um, knockoff Darth Vader toy called Star Knight in the uh, first book. And in this one, he actually gets 26 pages oh, wow. broken down into five or six page chunks about the Saturday morning wars and Adam and the, the man, the men of might and versus the transformer like toys That's awesome. uh, go on throughout. And there's a whole huge arc to that thing, but he's been allowed to just come up with the history. And we've had a few conversations back and forth, but he's gone away and done um, a whole, history for the thing you know um based off of his passion for these old toys um i think allowing a lot of people a lot of freedom has just allowed them to create some amazing stuff that i couldn't possibly have thought of and i think that's added to the richness how, how many other writers have gotten involved with you uh, we've um just thinking about the numbers throughout the series we've probably um exceeding 35 plus people wow the three books oh. right now this thing has got a life. It's got a grown life of its own. Like now, are you like the like Kevin Feige, where you're like, all right, I'm the the final say. I have the final say on this shared universe of uh, torso bear. So like, I, I want to like at least see everything that comes out before it comes out. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, um, Glenn and I, I, I've come been more on the conceptual side of things, whereas Glenn is part of Comics Experience and he's a paid up member of quite a few little writing association so he knows how to make this shit work how to make it fly and the structure consistent and um, edit properly where have i've been more of a sort of a creative control and um it definitely would have wouldn't have worked at all without glenn but um we do have to see everything and vet a few we have gone to a couple of, of um sixth and seventh version scripts with a couple of things uh one of which was john scriven's action gal um, yeah. But that was primarily because we were doing a trans action man story. And so oh. to resolve the ending of that, which we, you know, you really want to tread carefully and not kind of like do anybody any disservice yeah. or kind of like misrepresent anybody. So we really had to sort of hammer back and forth about the ending of that and how to get it to work or at least how to leave it hanging. So it didn't seem overly negative or positive either way. It was up to the reader. No. You know, for a book about toys, you guys handle a lot of like social issues. Like in the real world, it's so clever from, you know, prison to crime to injustice to uh, gendered. Uh, how does that uh, where did that start? Was that the point of this from the beginning? No, no, it, it was a, it was totally a joke. And I think the last few years, some uh, stupid Shit has been happening in the world of politics, in the world in general. And I guess you kind of write what you know. Um, a lot of people have been coming back wanting to do these more 
intense stories, particularly as we wanted to be, go and up the intensity. You know, where do you go from that yeah, first story yeah. or the, you know, carry through that notion of justice um, and what a crime is, you know, generally. Um, it, it, to make that rich, you know, and make it a justifiable world, even if it is a joke one, how do you do that except without kind of expanding the notion of what a crime is beyond guys stealing stuff or punching a dude, you know? I mean, the potential for social commentary, the more I think about this, is uh, is incredible. Like, you can spin off different things uh, and tackle subjects that uh, in, in a different way and bring a different light than, uh, you know, people are used to right now. In, a, in, a, in a, almost a... Uh kind of like a higher level it's not overt yeah it's through toys yeah it's through uh, well yeah exactly i think things. it's like t- like sesame street right you teach yes. kids the big stuff by showing them in a little way and i think right that's how i, I mean it could come off as really immensely fucking preachy if you did it in any kind of properly serious right alan moore-esque kind of way but because you're kind of going about it as a joke i mean with this third volume We've got riots um, and, and, you know, police crowd control and union busting happening. But that's all with, you know, bobbleheads and um, little pink elephant tanks with sort of like Nerf water tanks on the back. You know, it's uh, we we go about it in a silly way. And I think that's kind of a, a lot of satire. There's a lot of satire in the world at the moment. And I'm not entirely sure it always helps going as serious as you can. If you present things in a softer way, yeah, um, you know, and you know, get a, a joyful connection out of it, it's a lot easier to be positive about these things instead of incredibly fucking dour because there's enough of that in the world. Absolutely. And I think sometimes it gives you opportunity to step back and, and kind of laugh at some of these things that are, you're like, look, this is not that big of a deal. And you're showing it with toys and have people realize, yeah, maybe exactly. you should. Although relax. it does occur to me sometimes it is a little bit like, okay, show me where he touched you on this. <laughs> That's every <laughs> panel. That would be every panel if I drew the book. Uh, oh wait, God. real quick side tangent. Uh, Alan Moore recently just came out and said, I'm, I'm retiring from comics. Uh, I am said, Jack's complete lack of surprise. Uh, okay, that's what I was going to ask. Too, is this, should he have retired a long time ago or too soon? Or you clearly, you're not even surprised. So he hasn't really been doing much lately. I think from, I mean, the last couple of books he's put out, you know, have always been good. I don't think he would put out anything that he didn't think right. had a certain level of quality. You know, that's just how the guy operates. And I totally get that. You know, Tom Strong was possibly one of the best superhero um comics latterly you know latter days and that was you know some time ago and for for more actually that was a fairly original property just thinking about um how he complained about other people taking his well, he stuff, complains about all, everything most, he's done that he, exactly everything he's done has been based off of some kind of prior material so he didn't seem like he had legs to stand on at all um, he's pretty but, bitter yeah um, <laughs> Yeah, he kind of he comes across that way. Come off. Yeah, he comes off like that, definitely. Um, I think with Alan Moore, you know, ever since From Hell, where yeah. it's a massive, dense work, I'm like, why are you just doing a Warren Ellis and going actually writing novels? That's obviously yeah. what you want to do, yeah? Yeah. Stop kidding yourself and just get out of it. It's kind of like your gay friend you know has been gay for a while and you're like you just <laughs> just come out come on just come cares. out start living your life 
Yeah. And nobody gives know, a I'm, fuck anymore. Yes. I couldn't be happy. If I was Alan Moore's dad right now, I'd be going, Where's your boyfriend? You know, it's like just <laughs> write oh, write shit. some more proper fucking books. Stop bitching about everything. Get happy. If he's in a happier place, maybe he'll he'll cheer up. I cannot wait for him unveiling his next novel with maybe a crack of a smile on his face. Well, I mean, that's <laughs> what he said is he's what well, he's going to do one last league of extraordinary gentlemen, but he's like, look, I want to, I've done everything I've done. I can do in comics. I'm going to try movies and books and something else. Yeah. And the, the mark he's left is undeniable from, you know, swamp thing to your watchman to your Batman. Speaking of Alan Moore, this kind of a side tangent, but have you seen his adaptation of the killing joke? The, the movie animated? Uh, um, uh, I can, I, yeah, yeah, I did see it and I, I can kind of, what did you think about it? I've right. Okay. I'm going to start this with another slight side tangent. Oh my God. This is that, three. We're three tangents in right now. Oh, you yeah, realize yeah, that? Yeah, that's okay. That, that's, Keep going. That's a dream within a dream it within is, a dream. We just inception. Dream. Fourth wall break. Yeah. The inception walls, this bitch. Right? Yeah. I think the Watchmen movie despite people's complaints of it being too faithful panel to panel adaptation worked. All right. It worked a lot better than a lot of Zack Snyder's latest movies, which we could go on about, you know, we'll yeah. sort of leave that as read, particularly because in Moore's original book, the fucking squid thing. And suddenly yeah. in a world without super powered, super powered people, except for the one guy suddenly had psychically sensitive people it really did feel like someone trying to write themselves out of a corner At in, the, the movie, in the book. Yeah. Okay. It, yeah. It, it, in the movie, um, the subterfuge is all based around making everyone think Manhattan did it. And that just was far more elegant for me. And I can totally get why they did that. <sighs> <laughs> I agree that but, the squid comes out of nowhere at the end of Watchmen. Yeah, and it really did. And, um, you know, uh, Alan Moore's not immune to, you know, any, any critics or critique you could give it his work. But I honestly think, I mean, what was the original point again? I kind of went off at the time. Killing Joke. Did you killing like Killing Joke? Joke. So, yeah, have you seen yeah. Killing Joke? Now that, that, the reason I said that despite the complaints of a panel-to-panel execution, I felt that the Killing Joke's latter half was too much of a rote, execution almost i mean hamill aside always a joy right kim and conroy couldn't be better right i think they could have actually because it felt like a they'd obviously come up with a new stuff to lead in up to the halfway point right but they felt like two very distinct stories absolutely like it was a passive it was really odd like they stitched two different episodes of the old animated series together That yeah. should be vague, vaguely related, but not yeah. really. What are your What are your thoughts on the fact that that first story, which is tonal, very different than the second story, does nothing? In fact, kind of weakens Barbara Gordon's character even more. I'm not sure either way that um, Barbara is weakened. Or I can certainly see the complaints for that, and I get behind it. What moreover, what it does me is actually it reduces the shock value so you see she'd just been barbara gordon to begin with you know and we'd assumed or they'd had an aside where she used to be batgirl and that's fine giving her any sense of strength reduces the amount if anything it makes you somewhat infuriated that she couldn't defend herself yeah in that moment like she could have taken down the joker at any point during that she is she was far more than capable of doing it, 
Whereas if all we'd seen of her up until that point was just a human person, maybe once a bit a hero, but doesn't have the aptitude or you haven't seen that she has the aptitude for that, she would have been more of a victim and certainly more overpowered psychologically and physically by the Joker and his goons. You know, that would have had more shock. Me. Imran, see this guy. This guy actually writes things. He gets he it. See. He gets, <laughs> he gets it. it. This guy gets it. Uh, he respects the biz. No, I, I. You know, that's such a great point because in that book, she. The real point is she is Jim Gordon's daughter. Like she's not even Barbara Gordon. She's Jim Gordon's daughter, she's and that's where the torture. Somebody's little girl, right? Yes. She's somebody's yes. family that gets yes. mowed down. She's not a superhero who right. it's it's in the line of duty, right? And it's almost to be expected. No, it's a shock that the Joker would go after somebody who is. Yeah, all intents and purposes, and to his mind, is just a girl that he messes with and then completely ruins her life. You know, and it, that's yeah. totally the worst thing he does. Now, in this version, she's just a casualty of war, almost. Yeah. I also, I mean, I agree. I think the actual adaptation portion of it, it kind of fell flat. And then afterwards, I was like, uh, why did they even adapt this? Like, it doesn't work as well as it does on the page. It seemed unnecessary. I mean, yeah. It's it's like everything, you know, a lot of companies buy up. I often think that, um, you know, by Warner Brothers buying up DC and Vertigo is mainly for having kind of like a development department that can occasionally make you money. Well, I mean, they've even said, uh, you're right, because there was another article about uh, from the producers of Arrow talking about the Suicide Squad, and they finally just admitted, like last week, they're like, yes, the Suicide Squad on Arrow was a test for the movie the whole time. And comic books are also becoming testing grounds for the movie. Now, The Killing Joke made a couple million in, you know, it's two days theatrical release. So they're like, yeah, let's adapt everything. Let's keep it going. Iconic storylines. I don't know. And that's I, the problem with bottom yeah. line creativity. I mean, you think yeah. about, I mean, I wrote an article about this for um, Down the Tubes, which is uh, an English blog comic site. I made some complaint about, you know, Diamond being ever more closed off to kind of new avenues or new creators or new publishers coming in. But the upshot basically is that all these tempo franchises, I mean, we're talking about movies and comics and games and everything else, came out of an era of experimentation where people didn't fully know what they were doing. Yeah. They were just trying some shit. So as many success stories as they are with characters from the 60s through to 80s era, they're all people trying shit and there's a load of stuff, you know, dead universes yep. uh, left on the cutting room floor of publications that either worked or didn't. And that open approach to creativity is, um, is lost. It's you know, gone. All, yeah. All, all these franchises, I mean, it's happening in the indie scene, yes. but you know, the, the big houses are all running with the same characters they've had since their, you know, Batman's been going 75 years. Now I love Batman, but you know, I don't know how long you can, can, can you run the character for hundreds of years that continues to come sure, back and reset to zero every time? Yeah. yeah a major event? How many good... number ones can you do? Oh, fucking oh, every month. They're just, yeah. all of them. you can do them all. You can do them all and you can do them all over and over and over. And, and nobody, yeah. And over and then just set it back yeah, and then reset yeah. it back and retcon the retcon. I don't know how many people bitch about that stuff or how many people still love it. Um, Mainly because I I tried reading, um, you know, the Batman regulars for a while, but then yeah. I obviously had to get back into writing and sort of left out of touch with it. I mean, for you guys and 
regular comics readers, are you satisfied with Batman as it is? Or because every time they seem uh, to do an event or a retcon, there's a, there's a bunch of stuff online about Anthony, it. Anthony, you take it. I, I am not satisfied because I don't buy comic books anymore. So I, I started up with Imran in 2011. For our listeners, they've probably heard this. I've started up in 2011 buying comic books weekly when the new 52 came out. And as of uh, probably early this year, I canceled all my subscriptions. So I don't buy anything anymore. My pull list is down to a few things. I'm and Imran, Imran used to buy maybe double, triple the amount of books I was buying. He used to spend like 60 40 bucks to 60 bucks a week. And then and now he, buy, he buys maybe one or two yeah. books. So I mean, what is that down to? you guys do you think i know that makes me sound like i'm interviewing you but i'm trying no to that's fine the, you know this is a conversation this yeah, isn't yeah, an interview the, the pro like rebirth has been doing good for dc they've sold 12 million but i still feel burned from new 52 because i was like i was all in with these number ones now and marvel is doing it again it's kind of the constant restructuring to to bring things in line with the movies, Marvel again this fall is going to renumber and reboot a bunch of things, and then Rebirth just did it, and it's just it rubs it's kind of rubbing me the wrong way. Like I don't feel any connection to it anymore. Oh, that's interesting. When I'm thinking about uh, the people making these films, like James Gunn or um, you know any of the Marvel guys, have been they've got this deep, deep you know decades worth of lore. You know, yes. uh, you know, books that were into their deep into their several hundreds run. And obviously the fear from people selling this stuff is, you know, how do you get people to jump on at that point? Yeah. But forgetting that people were obviously always jumping on during these long running series, yes. either catching up or just filling in the blanks for themselves as they go. Uh, it's this fear, this tie to that sort of bottom line we've got to make, you know, we've got to make sure this shit sells because we know it sells, but we've got to kind of make as doubly sure of that as possible. Yeah. It, it's making it, it as up. easily accessible in their minds as possible. Yeah, exactly. But it, it kind of misses the point, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. It's unnecessary. This, you never this deep. Yeah. This deep structure of, um, storylines and um, not that it haven't been retcons in the past, but just, you know, these huge character histories that have been running, since forever, as long as the medium has been popular. I also think they're, they're trying to follow almost like a TV sort of format where this season, is a season yeah. with this writer and then there's a little break. And then it's like, here's a new season. It's sort of like, Hey, here's where you start. You can start. There's always these neat mm. starting points. You wouldn't necessarily do that in anything else. You wouldn't do that. No, right? Music no. or video games. So or, or, I think yeah. that a movie format would work for comics. It's really I mean, weird. Spider Gwen, I think, had like three or four number one issues just last year alone. And I kind of appreciate how they've taken action comics and uh, detective comics and set them back to their original numbering, meaning we will get an issue 1000 of action comics. That to me is cool. Now, you're right. They never needed a jumping on point. The whole it was sure it's a little overwhelming to walk in the comic book store and these books are at 400, 500. But the whole fun is jumping in and going back and buying the back issues and filling in the holes in the storylines. And now you can't even do that. Nobody sells goddamn back issues. All the back issue what? stores are closed. I will say, though, there is there is a point where, yes, there's a balance. There's history and like, oh, wow, this is the 700th issue. Yeah. That's huge. But there is a balance. And they wouldn't have done this if they didn't study it and realize that there's a lot of fans that come into a comic book store and go, Shit, this is on 800 issues, yeah. 700, 400, whatever the number is. 
you think that person's really going to go back and buy? No, and, and you're right. They, you know, with <laughs> Rebirth, really proved the point. Like, if you could do and, this, and right. that's why all these, yeah, when you do these number ones, you you, you mention how the 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 numbers and how they've sold. That's why these comics do that. They look and they go, "Wow, you you make a number one, people are buying that shit, eating that shit up." Now, how often can they go to that? Well, we'll see. It might be diminishing, but the sales prove it. But yeah, yet they will not great. take they won't take a risk at a new character number one, which would be uh, you know, maybe valuable down the line. They're just number oneing uh all their main titles like every year, or it seems. I don't know. Well, an interesting thought occurs to me in that um right, this is gonna sound a lot of a weird kind of jumped or a point of comparison. But every genre or medium or type of something has a period or seems to have a period in which it's popular and it's burgeoning and it becomes sort of a historical block like this thing happened. What I'm talking going to talk about vaguely is kind of classical music ah. in it for hundreds of years. I mean, no one notably, apart from maybe a couple of movie score producers like, you know, you know Michael Kamen or... Um, those kinds of guys are making popular classical music these days, not like they used to. And the form is pretty much set. There's not much anything new or revolutionary that anyone's doing with it. Mm. So I'm wondering if the medium of comics that we're looking at and graphic storytelling has kind of reached its saturation point where it's that, settled into the form it's going to be now. That is interesting. Where it was. Uh, kind of like a life cycle, you know. You're born, you do a lot of development, and then you kind of settle into yourself as an adult. Well, kind of it might be it might be the case. Yeah. That's actually a very good point. I think that this this might be the the trend for the next five ten years, you know, mm. and then it'll, it'll move on to a different trend or a different form or a different medium. What did you? What are your thoughts? Speaking of you know settling into adulthood, what are your thoughts on uh, comics eventually just? fully transitioning to digital or is there always going to be a place for the hard copy comic? I think for as long as there are people who grew up with the physical medium, um, there'll be people who want stuff in print and because you know, there's a good many million people of it. I don't think the sales are going to suffer anywhere near as much. When you look at DC's numbers of just the stupid hundreds of millions they've managed to sell in um, graphic novel, and collected trades. Yeah, the trades um, do a lot business. better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, those adult buyers, I don't think there is, uh, right. um, uh, as the guy said himself, perhaps rightly or wrongly, we make you know books for 40-year-olds. They know their market. Do you think uh, in this binge-watching, consuming society, do you think the single issue will ever go away uh, and they'll just put out like a trade every six months of here's the first six issues instead of putting it out monthly? Well, even my local comic book store, um, Dead Universe Comics, um, manages to, if you look at the amount of real estate in their shop, the amount of space given to singles yeah, and, um, you know, long boxes of the old collector's stuff versus the sheer number of shonen uh, manga stuff and graphic novel collections, it does seem there's a whole huge... Huh kind of um shall just thinking about how the shop was about five years ago it would have been mostly singles so that's and now it's it 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 way more on trades and graphics and 
associated merchandise. I mean, there's a bunch more well, yeah. um, bobbleheads and stuff. Yeah, yeah. you got to diversify now to be... Pop and stuff yeah. like that than they used to well, be. And I also think the binge-watching culture is, is definitely a big part of that. But also, you know, Imran, again, brought up how, you know, Trek collecting all the old issues. Why... Why do we have to do that anymore? Why would I do that? With Marvel Unlimited, you can go and digitally read all the Well, not, I'm not only saying that, but they, they do trades, yeah. and trades just seem like a more efficient way of doing yeah. things. Like, yeah. Why would I want to have to go to like eight different stores to the find... Individual issues. One, yeah, the individual issues. Because that issue. is not as fun anymore. It's a lost the allure of the collecting. I mean, uh, Brett, even in our store, Pastime Comics, where we go to buy comics, the majority of the store is Magic the Gathering board games, and then way in the back is like two racks of where the comics are. Oh, Not only that, it's two racks of copies, and then our uh, the store, the guy that runs the store, Eric, or runs the comic portion, he has full collections of all the back issues, like for like a single storyline, yeah. in one bag. Yeah. So he's done all the collecting for yeah. you. He's got runs. They're kind of these bundles, cool which are yeah. kind of cool. Bundles, but which is cool. That's, he's done the collecting. The, for they it. make their money not off comic books. They make their money off the games and the cards and ha- running magic tournaments. That's that's exactly it. I mean, when I was in recording this latest Kickstarter video in that store that I was talking about, yes, the amount of guys that we had to stop filming for that were going to buy books versus those guys who were picking up packs of not just magic but um, Yu Gi Oh and Pokemon sets was just way, way larger than the actual you know, book-buying crowd. So it's a, spe- it's a, specialist, a specialist store for um, you know, game, gamers. The landscape definitely, it's changed, yeah. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, listen, isn't this fucking shit awesome? Would it be great if someone actually like, liked it enough to actually maybe support us? How about that, Imran? Did you ever think about that for one second? Well, look, listener, if you like what you're hearing so far, we do have a way for you to support us. And how the fuck do they do that? Go on to jockandnerd.com slash Patreon, or you can go on to patreon.com slash jockandnerd, which is our virtual tip jar. It works both ways. Listener, support us for any amount. You're going to get access to awesome bonus content. Rugs has got mini episodes, instant reactions to movies, more geeky audio than you can shake a geek stick at. Or a geek stick at. Oh, boy. Oh, shit. <laughs> so go on to patreon.com slash jockandnerd and donate today. Do you like superheroes? Do you like comics? Do you like film? Do you like comics and films about superheroes? Well, then you're in luck because we here at A Place to Hang Your Cape have everything for you. We've got reviews. We've got interviews. We've got list articles. We've even got a few videos coming up. Anything you could possibly want that's relating to superheroes, we have A Place to Hang Your Cape, where superheroes go to hang their cape. The name is self-explanatory, really. I don't know why I have to explain it, but there you go. Find it at ap2hyc.com. The H stands for H. (laughs) (laughs) The H. 
Hey there, fellow podcast fans. Do you love comic books and especially Swamp Thing? Get out of the bayou. So do we. Come check out the Parlopod Show, the world's only podcast dedicated to the muck-encrusted mockery of a man himself, Swamp Thing. This is some serious arcane audio. As we chat with comic book professionals, reviews, spoofs, talk about back issues, everything swampy under the sun happens here. Give us a listen at Parlapod.com, iTunes, SoundCloud, Podomatic, our YouTube channel, and we're on every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern on PodcastRadioNetwork.net. Join your hosts, Dave and John, Parlapod.com. Let's go into the green. We'll see you in the swamps. In the swamps. In the swamps. So this is a great uh, segue to talk about your Kickstarter and actually being an independent producing content. You know, like we've talked, the studios are looking at nothing but franchise films. Uh, Mainstream comics are kind of growing stale. And, uh, you know, as time goes on, we're going to see a lot more independent content. So you are like, you're, you're the publisher, the creator, the writer, everything, right? You're putting this out all on your own. I definitely have to for the first two books. Yeah. And And you um, kickstarted both of those. Yeah. Yeah. And the third one's about halfway funded at the moment. Um, We are kind of going to be changing up tack a little bit just to take some of the some of the pressure off, but also to reach a wider audience. Um, we've been talking to Travis from Source Point Press in the States, who um, I think are going to be picking up the Ash and the Evil versus the Evil Dead book and Run Holliston, which I think is a TV adaptation at the moment, um, as well as a bunch of other stuff. You know, yeah, they're they're really great at independent stuff. We talked to a dude, David C. Hayes. Who writes? He created the Rot, and the Source Point Press is putting yeah, out the Rot. Yeah, the, yeah. the Rotten Up the River as well, drawn by Stephen Sharar, who's you know an amazing artist. So they've got a great team together. They've got a great you know independently sourced uh, collection of retailers that they work with. Um, and it seemed like for an independent guy who's tried at uh, Diamond and not gotten through, fuck Diamond. Um, uh, yeah, well, that's pretty much what we wrote. Um, me yeah. and Guy, um, John, who runs down the tubes, were basically like, you know, these guys are just sort of fucking. It's a monopoly. It's bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, like all monopolies, though, it kind of reduces. I mean, even Hastings, you know, is just fucking died on its ass recently. Is that, is that another, like, is that like a British diamond? Hastings? Um, I'm not sure. Is it Hastings or what was the big chain store in the States? Am I misremembering the name? Uh, oh, Barnes and Nobles or Borders? You mean bookstores? Um, yeah, they mainly did comics, graphic novels. So I can research into it later. But, um, you know. I didn't know there was yeah, one. I didn't oh, know right, there was well, like a well, chain comic that, book well, That's probably why they fucking closed down then. <laughs> that's probably why. <laughs> was not um, working. But yeah, working to still be independent. But, um, you know, putting it all out yourself is cool. But it is kind of it, everything that you do that is not related to the creating of the book detracts from creating the book, if you follow me. Yeah, that's the only problem. But this is, I mean, this is one of the ways you can get your work out there. So tell us a little bit about uh, this Kickstarter you got running right now. Well, Torso Bear 3 has been up a week. Uh, we're up to about 46%. Um, and we've just done, you know, we've, we've been talking to all kinds of media people. So I've been on the local papers been up to the local you know bbc um radio stations and tv interviews uh, it's all been organized and stuff like that and really going out to make sure that this 
third and final Ruxby story, um, you know, really gets done, hits its mark. I mean, even applied for Arts Council, you know, government-based funding to help oh. pay some of the artistic team. Cause, oh, um, right on. Just paying people in exposure is bullshit. Yeah. It is bullshit. Yeah. Wow, so you're paying, you're actually paying all your collabor- collaborators, like, page rates and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've oh. got an agreed page rate. So a couple of people have um, negotiated slightly upwards because since the first book, they've gone on to do more work for people like Xenoscope and stuff like that. And that is completely understandable. If you want yeah. quality yeah. people to you be worked with, yeah. then you've got to treat them right. Yeah. You've no. got to treat them right. We had a bit of a hiccup with that in volume two in that we couldn't pay everybody, but trying to at least pay them in copies of the book to sell. Ah, and um, and that was a hiccup. That was a hiccup on my part. I fully hold my hands up and say, I, I kind of fucked up the second Kickstarter the first time round by uh, looking at the, the, the higher, you know, um, totals that people were able to go for and think that I would be able to reach that amount based on my audience. From the previous you know, time. this is what From I wanted time. to know. The psychology of Kickstarter is very fascinating to me. This is your third Kickstarter, third volume of Torso Bear. What have you learned uh, in the three times you have done this? And what mistakes, you know, do you know not to make now? Because uh, we have a lot of listeners who are creators who run Kickstarters. I think this would be very valuable information for them. I think if any of them have run more than one, they'll probably know this in that make sure you've got enough put aside to pay Kickstarter, or what their their ten percent ah. cut that they take as fees, because that's how they make their money. That's how yeah. they run a business, so that's understandable. Mm-hmm. But also for postage as well, because if you're getting any kind of international backers at all, and you've got to send something to like yeah, Australia, or yeah. Norway, it's going to cost you. So ah, so work in the ten percent and the cost of the mailing in your. Oh, you, you really have got to because huh. that's the one that's going to kill you more than anything. Those are it's all the, the the hidden things that you don't initially think exactly. about. Exactly. So um, you got to plan for it. What we were discussing amongst a few of us is there ought to be at least some kind of advisory resource where people can go and ask people with some of the experience in it, or at least written up some documents uh, with you know vague parameters and guidelines as to kind of write. No one's going to tell you about this shit because we love the indie scene, because we love independent books and the kind of creativity and madness that comes out with, you have got to at least kind of, you know, pay, pay mind to this stuff. So you don't screw backers and stuff yourself out of being able to do further books. You know? Wow. That's great. That's great information right there, right here. No one's going to tell you. You just told everybody. Exclusive. Yes. So you jock in your right on. So I'm Mr. Y- Mr. Uren. I'm, I'm going to give it to you real guys. I'm going to give it to right. you. Yeah. Yeah. That's all we expect. We want the real. Don't sugarcoat that shit. I, I know Imran likes to sugarcoat that shit. Look at his blood type right now. Look at his fucking diabetic. Sugar. But everybody oh. else, do not sugarcoat that shit for us. Wait, uh, what, it's, I, it's, it's the mailing uh, more than print. Um, if you're aiming on paying guys for it, yeah, uh, for their work, make sure you kind of check up on their work history as well. Because there's a couple of guys I hired that skipped out after getting the money, not oh, produced shit. work. Oh. And then found that there's been kind of like a trail of stuff, books with five people in the title because one of them partially completed and then pissed off halfway through. So, you know, it's uh, you've got to do your research. You've got to do your due diligence. So take the time before you launch to make sure you've got all your angles covered because they'll bite you if you don't. And also don't get carried away. You might have done one successfully, but that doesn't mean you can necessarily ask for more the, se- the second time through. 
that's the mistake I made with uh, Torso Bear <sighs> 2. So you asked, have you been asking for more each Kickstarter? No, no. I mean, the first one, um, we were asking for like five and a half, six thousand. Okay. Uh, you know, British pounds. Pounds? pounds. Yeah, pounds. Okay. And so we got that. And that was cool. That was really cool. And we had a couple of, um, you know, guys who were seriously into investing. And so put in a decent large amount of that and possibly a little bit sort of swollen by that. I went in to almost double that up. Oh, wow. For the, for the second Kickstarter. Oh, Looking at, but just doing some rough amount of research, Yeah, um, you know, into the amounts people were asking for, for comics on the site and thinking I'd get away with that not looking at the statistics or how statistically asking beyond, you know, uh, an eight, 9,000 amount is statistically way less likely to get funded. And that's just what happened. Huh. It bottomed out until it, I relaunched at a lower rate. It seems like unless you're huge and you have a huge built-in audience, you are, you would be more successful asking for lower. So volume three Kickstarter here uh, with 20 days to go, and American money, you've raised $2,135 of your $4,587 goal, which seems a lot more reasonable. Yeah. Seems like a good pastry. Way, yeah. more, way more balanced than it was. It, it, way more balanced. But, you know, that's how you get into it. I mean, there's a guy I know called John Locke who's running a book about the afterlife being run as a business, Afterlife Inc., um, he's on his fourth volume for Kickstarter now, and that's being, you know, that's funding quite, you know, nice, nicely ticking along. So he's built look at your building. long hair, Brett. I, I'm just looking he's at a, your Kickstarter. Yeah. Look at this long he's hair. Metal. Wow, he's, that's a great head of hair. He's so metal. Are, you, are you wearing that in a ponytail right now? Uh, I, I am. I am. And yeah. the hairline has moved since that picture was taken a couple of years ago, <laughs> which I put down what entirely you, to this book and my toddler as well. So oh, you know. no. what, you, what you need to do is, is, a, is a classic look. You keep the long hair. You keep it in a ponytail. And the hairline just keeps moving back. Yeah, it's still yeah. a long-haired pony. You look like a fucking radish from Super Mario Two or something. <laughs> you look like that, or you'll look you'll look like Hulk Hogan. Yeah, like, yeah. hairline all the way back to the back of your head, still I'm hair still down the shoulder, I'm like my a hair. Fat brunette Hulk Hogan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that that and That's do you have the goatee going too? Still? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that that go, go that stash, is, dude. Take the shave, the goatee, go stash. The hair equivalent of the of smoke and fucking mirrors, my friend. Because most of that <laughs> most of that beard I've been growing for seven years. Can I get a full? Uh, no. To get it fully around the jaw? No, I fucking can't. It Never. It area. just grows like I've that. Put it, I, I, I I've had to put it right you. back in the neck, almost to my Adam's apple, to get it to you know have enough depth when you look at it head on. You saw that shit yeah. from the side? Yeah, <laughs> it's mist. It's brown mist, mate. Listen, Anthony is half yeah. Filipino and can barely grow one facial hair. He's just smooth <laughs> everywhere. I'm smooth every, every, every Smooth like everywhere. a Ken doll. Everywhere. Do you eat? Everywhere, bro. Everywhere. But no, I, I am sorry I derailed it again, but I just looked. I was like, holy shit, hair. this guy's long fucking hair. Look at his hair. A bunch of metal and noise bands during the late 90s to uh, that, through the I, That makes sense. So, that yeah, makes sense. Yeah. You play guitar? Uh, guitar. I did a, uh, a demo once. Clarinet. Some drums and shit like that. You know, he plays metal <laughs> oboe. <laughs> You got, he's got the metal triangle. Metal triangle. Plays- <laughs> Is this a good pace, though, you're at? I mean, it looks like you're almost halfway there, 20 days to go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it yeah. feels good this time around. Yeah. I mean, a lot yeah. of that is returning you know, business, but we're picking up new people all the time. We're trying some different shit like Facebook ads and stuff, which has got some limited success, but I'm not sure it's paying itself back exactly. 
well, so my next question was promoting the Kickstarter this third time. What, how do you get people to take action? Like you can post this shit all day long. What is the, the strategy to run the page and the updates to get people to actually click that button? Yeah, I learned very quickly on the on the first one and talking to other people throughout the second that people will get sick of your shit being constant. Right. You know, understandably, right? Or people will just fucking turn off from it. They will. So you've got to make it more interactive. Um, that's what we do. And so it was, it's a toy-based book, right? So why not play some games? So we came up with a way that, you know, um, backers, you know, one is picked randomly out of a given day to win a daily sketch from one of us or we come up with games like where you get to pick what happens in the story say or um even building characters we're running a little game on the kickstarter and the facebook page for torso bear at the moment called builder bear where we basically give you one day we'll give you a series of four heads right like a merman a barbie uh, an action doll and a transformer head a b c yeah d you vote which one and out of the comments you know, whoever gets the most votes, we pick that head and then proceed to bodies, arms, legs. And then ah. a character has been built like that and isn't actually in a story in the second book yeah, during one of the prison scenes. And it looks weird as fuck. <laughs> but luckily, because the book is weird as fuck, you know, it, it, it kind of works. So we're running Build-A-Bear again this time. Kieran Squire's Saturday morning was from the beginning, the inception. Um, one of his uh, great ideas building on that Build-A-Bear thing was actually to write a couple of scenes that could go either way and then base the outcome um, who gets to survive by the end of the story based on a public vote. So we've done the first of those votes and um, getting people to interact with that and people see on their social feeds that interacting and commenting on this stuff has attracted a few more backers. Yes. And that's something you can do for relatively no money, Yeah, but just a kind of like a creative way to kind of, get people on side or at least talking to you about it and it's the same with i'm not sure how many cons you guys have done or sold books at but um getting stuff into people's hands is half the battle as soon as you get people interacting with it like actually physically there with your book you know flipping through the pages holding it yeah at least being in being involved is what you know helps people personalize it for themselves it seems like to me, and we've talked to other people that have tried to put out independent books, but it's still the, the best way to get these out there and get people to read it is the grassroots going out to cons, going out to stores, face to face. Getting, yeah, face-to-face stuff, because you can throw it on, a, on digital and you can throw it on the internet and have a great synopsis, but unless you have that personal connection to the, to the writer or, or that person actually pitching it to you, it seems like it just goes, it just, you're like screaming into the void. Yeah, yeah. And you're just doing a sales pitch and every fucker's doing a sales pitch. Right. Everyone's doing marketing, right? So if you're selling it based on anything, you're quite right. It's going to be on your personality. People buy right. people. I'm not much of a sales guy. You know, I'm not a salesman, but that's what I've learned through going to and doing shows, you know, one every month or every other month for the last couple of years. And watching these guys who are really fucking good at selling and, you know, people are buying how, you know, um, energetic and how chatty they are and how personable they are. And almost the book doesn't fucking matter. I mean, exactly. Yes. Cool book. Yes. Definitely. But it's more them. But you could also have the best book and just sit there and not talk and get no traction. You're right. Somebody like that could sell. 
you kind of have to be a used car salesman, which sucks because it's sleazy. But I think most creative, like um, comics artists, you know, a lot of them are not that way inclined. Oh, it's right. a weird mixture. They're very introverted and, uh, you know, just like to do their art. I got to tell you, though, your Kickstarter campaign ideas from the Build a Bear to the Daily Sketch, it's so smart because if you just scroll through the Torso of Bear Facebook page, you don't get the feeling you are getting harassed to back something, but each one is part of the campaign. Is every every link goes back to the Kickstarter, but it doesn't feel like you're selling. You're just having fun, and you can interact and and well, uh, get stuff in That felt true to the spirit of the book, isn't it? Yeah. You know, yeah. the, it's just a, it's just a laugh. Everyone's here to have a bit of fun to play. You know, it's about play. Why not get everybody to fucking play? I personally think that more marketing and a lot more social media marketing is like that actually that um you're getting people to kind of play everyone's remembering the value of it you know you're supposed to be or at least in the last generation if you're being an adult you had to be so fucking serious about it and i think that's what people don't get i hate the label millennials but people get you know oh imran loves it i hate millennials fucking bullshit you know (laughs) Um, every generation is kind of like a few people from each year, we'll ruin line. it. There's yeah. no line. There's yeah. no line. Det- and there's no line determining when you're an adult. Exactly. That's true. I mean, there's yeah. certain biological shit, but you know, psychologically, I mean, you only have to look at our politicians and celebrities sometimes realize that this is playground shit, right? People are still the same, self-absorbed, sometimes conceited or stupid yeah. or kind of like you know misdirected people they were when they were like four or some shit. They've just gotten more complicated or have gotten more kind of tools to kind of get around and get what they want. So no one really grows up, right? Knowing that as soon as you get an opportunity, and I'm sure that's why creators have come back on board because you can do as many superhero books as you like. You can do as many kind of serious noir thriller, but you give the opportunity to somebody to play to get play again and everyone's on it. Nobody know Everybody knows how to do that because it's in, it's embedded in you from the very start. You know how to do that shit, and more people should. That's, that's why great. coloring books are so. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, that. that's yeah. those are those, those things are making a fucking comeback. Like you wouldn't be, believe the adult coloring. I, books. I saw a book at a train station. It was called Extreme Coloring, and I was like, "The fuck is in?" I got to have a flick through this thing. What is extreme? Yeah, about was it skateboarders and snowboarders? What the fuck's in there? L- let me let me tell you. I've had friends that have recommended it to me and I, i've been not skeptical i've just been lazy didn't participate but they're like when you do the fucking coloring with like no one around you're like you're in such peace it's therapeutic and and it's very therapeutic it's very relaxing it's very create the creative juices start yes, flowing again yes. yeah well it's flow and i think that's yeah. what a lot, of, a lot of people miss in our culture is that you can do the same shit that made you happy when you're a kid because yeah. it's the same shit that's going to always make you happy you don't need a car you don't need all this big stuff you're told that you need you just need half an hour a book some pencils and that can bring you far more peace than having a you know lamborghini can have it's analog it's old school. let me let me ask you something uh mr uren yeah um is there what do you, what's your mindset I mean, it can be and it doesn't necessarily need to be an either or mm. but is it creativity is there's just you, you're naturally born as a creative person or do you think creativity is kind of stamped out through the educational system that we have and through the social system? See, now, now that's an interesting question because I've kind of come up against two. It depends on your personality. 
to a certain sure. extent. And that, I think without going into a huge diatribe about the educational system, one size fits all doesn't work right? Yeah. Yeah. because it leaves people by the wayside and people don't fit into that kind of realm. It's like clothing. If you speak to women for long enough, you'll tell them that a size 14 in a store is not a fucking size 14 to them if they wear it from somewhere else. Because one size fits all isn't for everybody's shape, right? Same thing with education. Now, both my wife and my father were artistic and still are to a certain extent. My father's going to be doing some hand lettering for this third volume. Oh, cool. Um, So he's always, and he was a huge influence on me because he used to draw a shitload when I was younger. And he always wanted to go to art school and his dad was going to pay for it. My grandfather and crapped out on him on a last minute and gave him a whole spiel and all this sort of stuff. Um, And, and I think um, generally, and maybe he's going to hear this and we haven't had this conversation. So it's going to maybe hit him hard. Um, But we're real talk mode now. And um, dad, if you're listening, you know, I, I fully feel you because a lot shitload of stuff like that has happened to other people where, Daddy urine, if you're Dad listening, urine. why the fuck are you listening? <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening. Like, but thanks. Yeah. Um, uh, basically, if you're, if you're artistically inclined, you can be sensitive. So getting a knock back or feeling like either your family or society doesn't value that in you, it, it, it breaks some people. It, it breaks them out of wanting to do that, even though it's an aptitude they always feel in themselves. Now, I personally... I've had knockbacks like that. Um, my parents rescued me from something like that where they were trying to get me to stop drawing in young, in sort of primary to middle school when I was younger. And thank fuck for that because yeah. I think they would have broken me out of it as well. And um, for such a society that demands uh, innovations and creations and creativity, it seems completely counter-fucking-intuitive to me. Well, God, good for them that they encouraged you because I, I can completely relate to that. I, you know, I, I'm also an artist and I come from like a Pakistani immigrant family where you tell people I want to be an artist and they just fucking laugh at you because you're supposed to go to like medical school or be an engineer because I'm fucking packy. But uh, the same way, my dad, my cousins on my, my father's side, they all had art talent. They would draw all the time, but none of them did anything with it. And I was like, you guys, we've been given this. Yeah, we've been giving this gift. Clearly, I was born with a talent. I'm going to use it. I'm, you know, I'm going to be the first in the family. They were all really good, just natural or natural artists, and never. They just thought, you know, they consider it a hobby. You can't make money that way. This is not serious. My mom still to and this that's day. The, that's the fucking problem. Yeah, if you base everything on your ability. If you, if you, all you wanted to do. As a human culture, right, was to make fucking money. The bottom line, everyone would be traders or right. something like that. But you don't. You have people who are architects, who are aeronautics people, people who love to fucking cut hair, garden, uh, make food and shit. Nothing is just down to money, right? You can make money doing what you do, but you should do what you love first. And people do love doing things. That's why the world is so richly diverse full of activities and different kinds of people. And you're talking about your own culture. You know, if you look at um, at any, uh, from India to Southeast Asia to anywhere around the world, even though there might now be a focus on what's your job, what can you get as, are you going to be a dentist, a lawyer, that sort of shit. They have a rich cultural history, a beautiful artworks and architecture and all this sort of shit, a foundation 
for a culture, right? Yeah. Even we do in the West, even though it might have been employed for building fucking churches or whatever at one point, you know, all the abbeys and cathedrals, they're still beautiful, creative fucking things. It's the basis of everything we are. I was just going to say that creativity is kind of the basis of evolution, of how we evolved. You think of cave paintings. They had to figure out some way to communicate, and they're, they're drawing things on the wall, and they're still there. Yeah, and so the creativity is the foundation of everything we are, right? And bizarrely, <laughs> I'm going to pull that back to the Kickstarter for a second. Good. Because yes. it's, all, it's all predicated on the point that you've got to fucking think of something, right? You're either bored or a people at each other's necks or you're trying to achieve something and you don't quite know how to get people on board with your ideas you have to do it on the fly so if you if you're in a company and your boss is talking to you and they've got a certain idea you know to an extent if you've been alive long enough that they're kind of bullshitting and they're making it up as they go along but you go along with it you know same thing with the kickstarter campaign is that build a bear and all that shit it was just us making shit up on the fly because something wasn't working and you've got to quickly come up with some stupid idea to try to see if it makes something work. And that's it. I don't think I'm lifting the veil on the curtain or going to stop people interacting by saying that. No, you but know, I think it's... Come a, with things spur at the moment. You say, people don't think about that and it's important. You're right. That, that uh, Same with, with this podcast sometimes. We're like, look, it's all digital. Let's just try something different. And that's the beauty of this platform on Kickstarter is it gives you a little playground to try different things. And usually those different things is what sets apart the successful Kickstarters from uh, the other ones. Uh, and you got, and I also think you got to be realistic in, in you know, your rewards and, like you said, what you're going to give, what you're offering, because uh, that kills people also. It um, does. I mean, it's a strange mixture, uh, much like life is, between, you know, coming up with these amazing ideas and then having to either pair them back or adapt them for how reality actually is, you know. Um, I'm sure that, you know, anybody who invents anything is going, oh, I've got this amazing idea. Oh, but shit, I've got to make it work in the real world. You know, it's, it's just how it goes. Um, with Kickstarter, it's interesting because I know quite a few people now who, uh, you know, they, they might still go to bricks and mortar stores, right, but are yeah. doing a awful lot of comic shopping, like, Month to month, because on I'm following a bunch of my Facebook friends, you can see them backing shit. Like every yeah. day, there's a few yeah. notifications from people doing shopping. It's a pre-order system. It's, huh. it's definitely kind of like a diamond alternative these yeah. days, to a certain extent, for people. I could definitely see. I could definitely see shopping on yeah, Kickstarter it's come, as being a become thing. Yeah, like yeah. a little indie distributor. It's another online store. Yeah, it, it totally is. Um, that's the that's the beauty of it, though. Kind of like how YouTube used to be less so these days, is a burgeoning place where people can make um, a small cottage industry for themselves doing something that's particular to them. It's not a one-size-fits-all thing. I mean, it might be a little bit now with the introduction of people like Archie doing Kickstarters. And, you know, we mentioned big names before, sort of pushing the little guy out. But that's to be expected when you've got a, a big medium or, you know, a platform for something that's doing well. And yeah. it's kind of new and fresh and exciting. You know, the bigger guys or medium guys are going to want to try that stuff, particularly on video games. There's room for both. Yeah, video games. But also, like, one of my favorite hip-hop uh, bands is De La Soul, and they just released a new album, which it was completely – they put it out themselves. They got off of Tommy Boy Records, completely kickstarted, uh, f- uh, you know, fan-funded. And it's awesome because the album is called The Anonymous Nobody – 
which is a direct reference to all their backers being these kind of anonymous nobodies that have created this art. And then, you know, you get to be part of the book or the album. Your name goes in the liner notes. It goes in the back of the book. Uh, it's this, I love this new market and there's, I think there's room for the independent comics. Cause like you said, they're going to promote each other. You're going to go, you're going to shop for this one thing. Like on your page at the bottom, we have John Locke's afterlife Inc. volume four. And there's two other comic books that are, look really cool. And, uh, the discovery is great on Kickstarter for these things. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I couldn't think of a better way to do this sort of stuff. In that you 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 build not only a business for yourself, but you're part of a community. It almost feels like being part of an art movement sometimes. Yeah. Um, in that you kind of like get to be some part of something bigger than yourself, which I think a lot of people look for anyway. But yeah, from people like John Locke to Mike Garley, who does the an amazing comic, The Kill Screen. Uh, oh, I've heard about, about a that computer one. virus yeah, that yeah. infects real life people and turns it into a sort of real world death match. I mean, he's on Patreon now, and that's another area that um, previously considered. I don't know whether after Torso Bear, I'd go still remain in print with a next project or try giving We're something Patreon. digital Patreon. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, how are you guys finding it? Yeah, it's uh it's good. We kind of we try we consider it. We're trying to sell it as like a exclusive fan club. You know, where our show is free, but, you know, like back in the day, you would sign up for fan clubs and they'd mail you like little cards and certificates. It's the same thing. You pledge, you're part of the fan club. You can ask us questions on like a lockdown feed. And then we have tons of like hours of bonus audio on there for people. I think it's, I find it fascinating how these older ideas or some older concepts are getting updated for this new digital market as well. Like you said, it's a fan club thing, which it would have been in the back of comics. Yeah, you know, yep, right. yep. years ago, I mean, but it's now yep. completely un- unencumbered. You know, you you're completely running it independent of any publication or any other medium where you'd have to be fighting necessarily on someone else's page space for attention. Right. I mean, nothing you create is ever really new. It's always been done before. This is just an an evolved version of what you just mentioned. Yeah, it's, it's evolution, comics. isn't it? And I think just going back to a kind of career thing, I thought I was reinventing the wheel when I was. A young, dumb, full of cum guy, uh, <laughs> and, you, and, and now I'm sure pretty much every teen in his early twenties guy thinks they're fucking doing that. Yeah. But you know, you 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 learn a few things, you go on. But it is all in all evolution. It's all new. Torso Bear is not. It's not a new fucking concept. It's a re. It's a, a remix. It's uh, trying a slightly different tack on some existing stuff and trying to revitalize some stuff that either old guys remember or young people may not have been aware of before and might be interesting to them. You know, it's always tough trying to carve out a niche for yourself and find something truly new or at least a unique spin on something. Will there be more torso bear? Do you think after volume three? Well, this is the point um, that I've discussed with a couple of people, um, you know, creators wise that people like we were saying, people always have really fucking cool ideas the point of entry for me was always Ruxby, right? Yeah. And he's running, I mean, we have a finale planned for him that's like nothing that we've done before. And I don't know if anyone's going to be able to top that out or, you know, kind of like follow it. Not from an arrogant point of view, just from a kind of like we've taken the concept of the world to the furthest point to breaking it that I think we can. And uh, where do you go from there? But there's been a bunch of street level crime stories that have been really good 
um, that just didn't fit in with any particular volume that we would love to run well, at some point. Yeah. And there was a team of people who just want to do a music uh, themed one shot in the song bear bar in play storia, sort of a more of a, a jazz love story kind of thing. Uh, someone else is going uh, the Kieran who's done the first, you know, um, Saturday morning wars run in this latest book has said, he's got a ton more ideas for stories and people are pitching stuff in all the time. So this thing has a life we, of its own now. Spin-offs. Well, totally spin well, this is it. I mean, it starts to feel to me like it's a, its own, I mean, not to say that the works in the same realm, but like fables in that yes. you can have a main storyline, yes. but then you can filter off into different areas afterwards. So, I'm going to talk to you know the guys from Source Point and see what they think about it. But we have been discussing, even if you know it was still me independently kickstarting, we were thinking of spin-off one shots or you know other little single books or mini series, but you know that other people would do. But I would just have some editorial control. All That's over. great. You, I mean, this world is so rich that you created. It's also it's kind of like how I wish the Matrix would have went and done more stories in the world of the matrix that had nothing to do with Neo. Like they had, there was that anthology movie that had different stories that took place in the matrix. I actually enjoyed more of those and the animatrix and stuff. Yeah, like The that. animatrix was so cool. Second and third movies. Oh my God. That is way better than the fucking sequels. Cause those two movies came out and I was like, you guys just fucking blew the whole thing. Like what happened to the matrix? Like, I don't care about uh, what this. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the first movie, Right, was its own encapsulated thing and ended perfectly. Yeah. It's only financial concerns from the studio and the desire to sell more that they got those second movies made. It was perfect in its own thing. Didn't need to act. The rest of it didn't need to happen. Having said that, though, things like the Animatrix were a wonderful accompaniment and the, they're the best way to expand, you know, expand that world because you can do the side stories, you can do all the little worlds and world building fill in without having to kind of sacrifice the original story in any way or diminish it. So, you know, that's what we're going to try to do. Listen, for the listener, you guys, you have to check out Torso Bear. It's really clever. Uh, there's a lot of great artists and writers on it. Uh, check out the Kickstarter. Brett, I'm going to put all these links in the show notes, but why don't you tell the listener where they can find all this stuff and where they can find you if they want to say hi to you online. All right, you can hit us up where Torso Bear has its own Facebook page, and that's Torso Bear, all one word. Don't try and Google the two separate words because that brings up a search that nobody is. Well, I'm going to do that right now. Snake, <laughs> snake oil pork, and, you know, and uh, a bunch of other people I've been talking to on various podcasts have uh, brought that stuff up. You know, don't do. don't do it. It's not good for your kids. Um, so you go to torsobear.com. There's a bunch of links on there, not only to the Kickstarter, but some stores where you can pick up previous books if you want to. Although that will be changing in the next you know, few weeks and so as I transition some stuff out for um, Source Point to start selling from there. Other than that, you can just search out my name, B-R-E-T-T-U-R-E-N into Google. And there's a, there's a raft of me doing all the promo I could possibly do in and talking about my own shit like the, the most arrogant cunt on the face of the planet. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. He said he got it. That. What, <laughs> what did he just say? The first time we had to slip that in a little bit. That's a jock and nerd first. <laughs> I, I thank you. Ladies and gentlemen of the Academy. For the listener, we, we, we uh, had a little uh, side bet, if you would like to call it, that he couldn't work that word in. <laughs> that he said that I will not repeat 
So you'll have to push, press the 30 uh, seconds back, 15 yeah, second if, or 30 second back it. button and catch it. <laughs> no, we, we could always repeat it, but I, I think it might diminish that slightly. Yeah, no. That's, uh, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. We'll leave it as it is. It's as perfect as it is. Yeah, it was perfect. It's like when you show, you, when you show the monster the first time, it's already diminished. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, like well demogorgon, placed. It's a demagogue from uh, you know, Stranger Things. Just yes. you know, leave, and leave that shit until the end, yeah. <laughs> well placed listen i got it brett thank you so much for your time man i, yeah, man, I gotta thank david Molaski also for for bugging us to get you on it was definitely worth it i love torso bear and uh you are a lot like us basically you know we uh we're, we're relating across the pond and i want to turn people on long hair just like us torso bear. <laughs> well, maybe not physically but you know what i mean hippies make it back in a really bizarre bizarre way I mean, it's, it's really great to talk to you guys too and again yeah thanks to david because he is fighting the good fight for it the really is UK and international yeah. indie scene man he's well into it and it's people like that that keep this sort of shit alive and going david's really carved out a great niche of the in- indie comics and it's very exciting like i said as mainstream comics get kind of stale and as more independent work it's going to flood the market because now you can just make your shit, put it out, see if people like it. Keep it going. I wish you the best of luck. Torso Bear's awesome. I want to see him. He's going to be a worldwide franchise soon. There's going to be Torso Bear shit everywhere. <laughs> only only because of this show. If you didn't come on this show, oh, totally. nothing would <laughs> yeah, yeah. No it success to you. start here, folks. This is where you heard that's it. Right. Uh, nerd. That's right. Jock and nerd. nerd. Thank you so much, Brett. Uh, and uh, this was awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's yeah, been good to talk to you guys, too. The Jock and Nerd Podcast. Dude, we got to thank Brett again, and I have to apologize. I asked him how to say his name like six times, and I still end up saying urine. You're an unbelievable. Brett, urine. I am an ass. I am. I'm a fake. You're the under, you're the undercover asshole. Like, undercover you're the, you're asshole. That should be a TV show. Like after undercover you. boss. That'd be great. That's you, dude. <laughs> you you are an asshole in sheep's clothing. Every episode is a guy being nice, and at the end of it, you go, "Wait, that guy's really an asshole." Yeah, oh exactly. shit! <laughs> That's you, dude. No, this guy was great. I, he was I, awesome. I enjoyed uh, torso, learning about torso bear, and I think his opinions on things are. Uh, quite valid and from a perspective of a real fucking writer yeah interesting compared to me and you i mean imran you're you're a creative guy that gets really excited and i'm just some <laughs> idiot jock that's a millennial doesn't know shit it's always good to have a writer on yeah. so it's, it's it's fun to have someone that actually knows what he's talking about on something very talented dude i mean uh, more that he's writes it and he draws it and uh again thanks to a place to hang your cape david malosky for hooking us up and for carrying our show, listener. Uh, you can find this show on Weeby Geeks Network, a place to hang your cape, Tangent Bound Network, and on geekliferadio.com every Wednesday, 9 p.m. Central. So, Brett, this Brett's show is going to be on all these platforms, and it's a, a great uh, thing we have with a place to hang your cape uh, for small timber. Keeping it, Definitely. Keeping Definitely. it small. Listen, listener, that's it, man. All you got to do is check out our website, jockandnerd.com has all the links to subscribe, to contact, to buy merch, to support, join our fan club on Patreon, jockandnerd.com. That's the only URL you need to know. Exactly. Check that out. Everything you need to know is on there. Review, store, Patreon, all there. And if you like what you heard, uh, we ask that you just share the show, tell a friend, post it on Facebook, post it on Twitter, run up to the next person you see, give them one of these. Jock and Nerd! And uh, you will be our friends forever. Yes, sir. 
Thanks for listening. We appreciate every second you spend with us. This is the Jock and Nerd Podcast. My name is Imran. My name is Anthony. He's the jock. He's the nerd. And we'll hear you next time. Oh, here's the question. How do you pronounce your last name? Ah, well, you know, everyone's had their own take. Can I take a guess? Uh, Yeah, by all means. Let's hear. Let's go with urine. I don't think that's it. I've heard that one plenty of times. Put it like this. Uh, My dad and his brother used to get called the Piss Twins back in the 50s. No. Well, that answers that question. I say urine. Uren, okay. Uren. Yeah. It, it's a little more fancy way of saying your name. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, there's, there's a sitcom was... in Britain where there's a, a lady called Harriet Bucket, but she pronounces her surname Bouquet, darling, yeah. to get around that. Okay. Yeah. It's yeah. like Dumas. Yeah, yeah. Or like Colin, Colin Powell. Like, no, it's Colin. Col- it's fucking Colin. Colin. Colin Powell. I didn't even get that one. It's fucking I thought Colin. it would have been. It's Colin Powell. Uh, so, Uren. Yes. It's not Uren. I really thought it was going to be Uren. Uh, do you know what? I've, I've, I've looked everywhere from Ancestry.com to all sorts of places trying to figure out how you say it, where it's from, and there's no one clear answer. It might even okay, be so, Welsh. And that was there was like Urian and stuff, which sounds kind of kind of cooler, you know. But, uh, Wait, say, okay, so say it again one more time. Uren. U R E N. Yeah. Like, why O U R E? Yeah. I don't know why he needed to say it a few times. I was fairly sure. Because I'm going to fucking forget. I have already <laughs> forgot what yes. it was. It's all right. You wouldn't be the first person. <laughs> <laughs>